0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Science is a team effort, and winning a Nobel Prize involves a lot of work along the way. This week we dive into the Chemistry Nobel Prize, looking at the great work by the winners, of course, but also how it was chipped away by a large group of researchers working in different labs across the world, tackling small and smaller pieces, building up to the big picture begin today. And what exactly click chemistry and bioethical chemistry is all about anyway. So the Nobel Prize has historically really struggled with trying to award the prize to people outside of a Western setting, outside of its preference for white males especially. And in recent years, there has been a slight improvement of this, but they're not always getting it right. This year, though, we do have, in at least in the Chemistry Prize, the awarding of the Nobel Prize to the Eighth Woman, which is a pretty big thing. And the Chemistry Prize, which is awarded in three parts, to Sharpless, Meldal, and Potosi, Carolyn Potosi, um, it's a pretty amazing one to actually dive into. Now, what we're going to talk a little bit here about today is the basis of click chemistry, but also hear from Potosi in her own words around the development process of trying to get towards a deeper understanding and solve a problem, and how that ended up with what she has just won the Nobel Prize for. Because specifically in the work that she does in explaining what she does, to achieve the Nobel Prize. She spends an awful long time going through who was there with her and helped her along her way and not just uh, mentor scientists to her, but actually the junior scientists who are working with her in the lab, helping her achieve some of these great breakthroughs through the career as part of her lab and even before she had a lab of her own. And that is just as important as the individual recognition of a Nobel Prize because science is a cumulative activity. It doesn't just magically often spontaneously appear out of nowhere yes there is important work that individuals can contribute into shaping and forming an idea and changing a perception on a particular topic you can look at things like kuhn's scientific revolutions for more detail on this idea. But the idea of a great person or great man is strictly not how modern science is actually done. A lot of the time it's conversations between pe- people on the sides of a conference, sparking perhaps a new way of thinking about it, working with someone in a lab, collaborating with them and saying, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I could try using this technique. And this kind of collaboration and adaption and slow and inexorable progress and trying something that you're not sure will do anything at all, only to discover 50 years later that someone used that piece of research to actually discover something pretty amazing. That's kind of the way the science often pans out, and we lose sight of this when we talk about big prizes. So, whilst we will talk a little bit today about the prize in chemistry and how click chemistry actually works, and also orthogonal chemistry, we're also going to focus a little bit on the journey to actually get to these discoveries and the path and people who contributed along the way, because that is also important to understand and recognise. And one of the great things that Carolyn Bertozzi went out in a way to point out, aside from the fact. She also pointed out, or others did at least, that she played in a band with Rage Against the Machine guitarist Tom Morello back in college, which is also just an amazing piece of trivia for those of you who weren't aware. let's take a step back and look at the chemistry problems that Sharpless and Melda were trying to solve. Now, even way back in 2001, when Sharpless won his first Nobel Prize, he was outlining in papers in journals like Agavent Chemie* that chemistry was just way too complicated and it needed to move towards simpler reactions. Now, it's pretty amazing for a Nobel Prize winning chemist to come out and say that, but there was a good reason for it. Because a lot of the time when you have a chemical reaction, you end up with all kinds of weird stuff, or you rely on bonding techniques that at the end of the day will break down because they're weak bonds. So you end up having to do way more work or add way more things into it just to get the precise exact reaction that you wanted at the right time. This leads to all kinds of weird things happening in chemistry or a lot of stuff needing to be added in or unwanted byproducts or side effects. And in particular for the chemical industry, this can mean in when you're say producing a plastic, a lot of waste or leftover material or wasted energy and material itself. In biological settings, unwanted reactions can lead to significant unwanted health effects for people or in the best case, I guess, decreased effectiveness of whatever drug you were developing. So cutting down on this waste or complex reactions is a really good idea, but that's really tricky. And that's what researchers have been striving towards finding a way to achieve complex chemical reactions with just a couple of good reactions to make a really vast and diverse organic molecules. Not all these unnecessary steps that you sort of had to go through. And what the authors came up with was a way to make a pair of molecules that would really only react with each other. And and importantly, once they bonded, that was meant to be irreversible. This is this so-called concept of click- Chemistry, A click reaction just has a huge amount of energy, so much downhill energy, that once it's locked into that spot, you can't really get it out of that valley. You can't really pull it out. It's like when you have a pin on a gate or a door, where you drop it into that hole, that gate now can't open or close anymore because that pin is holding it in place. It takes a lot of energy for you to push that gate to break out that pin. It's basically what's happening in a chemical setting due to some pretty amazing bonds that have gone together with each other. And to do this, they relied on an azide, a high-energy molecule, which has three nitrogens bonded together, and an alkyne, a pretty inert and naturally rare molecule, which has two carbons triple bonded together. Now, the thing is, these two super bonded molecules independently are pretty interesting, but when you put them together, in the presence of copper acting like a catalyst then they just click and snap to attach themselves together this is important because it gives you a way to snap things together and get them to fix and stick together without having to go through a whole bunch of extra steps now that's the idea of click chemistry but it only goes so far and now we're going to divert a bit away from that and look at the research that potosi was really diving into chemistry is really good especially in the production to pla- plastics or, or other types of materials where you want to bonded weird strange combinations together but when it applies to biological settings not so useful and that's mostly because the catalyst in this case copper well that does some pretty nasty things to biological living cells and that meant something else had to be tried Now a big problem in a lot of science is actually seeing what you're working on. This is true for astrophysicists as it is true for chemists biologists. Often the times when we've made huge leaps in scientific understanding has been when a new piece of technology has been developed that enables us to see things that we couldn't see before. That might be using a large hadron collider to accelerate particles to smash into each other so we can see high energy rare particles that we would otherwise have seen. They can help us understand standard model physics and how the universe works or maybe in another sense it's taking a biological system Living cell or a painting or an object, and putting it into a beam of highly concentrated photons coming out of a particle accelerator so we can actually see what's happening inside the object, image it on its interior. Maybe it's by laying in some nanotubes which you can bounce light through and get really detailed look physically through reflected light from the interior of a cell upwards. These are all kinda cool new imaging techniques which help us understand and see inside things that are occurring. Now, that is often a really great enabling tool for science because it can stop you from trying to guess and just look at a black box on the outside or make assumptions about how you think it might be occurring on the inside. You could just watch it happen, observe it, see how it physically behaves. And that is a really, really important thing for science. The problem is when it comes to living cells. If you want to observe a process inside a living cell, you really have a huge difficulty. And that is even more so if you want to track individual components inside of a living cell. If you want to track molecules and proteins, things that are going on inside of a cell. Understanding how these work and how they actually function and interact with each other, seeing that without destroying the very thing you're trying to study, is just incredibly difficult, if not impossible. And that was what researchers like Patozzi were trying to get their heads around. How could they understand certain things that are happening? In this case, Patozzi's group were actually trying to look at glycans, and they wanted to see how sugars would behave inside these glycans. The problem is, they couldn't see what was happening inside the cells without, of course, damaging them. So. What is a scientist to do? And this is where the idea of click chemistry was so interesting, because if you could use click chemistry to basically attach to existing molecule that you're studying, some kind of tracker or marker, which actually in this case would be some kind of bioluminescent marker, you'd be able to follow along the journey of that individual molecule throughout a cell. So rather than trying to study everything on a whole, you could look with incredibly precise detail at an individual molecule that you're trying to study and understand. In this case, the sugars are looking at. Now, that would be really cool if you could get it to work, but the challenges, click chemistry, relied on this copper catalyst. So Patozzi in 2003, came away from a conference with the idea of getting rid of that copper and trying to use something else. The problem is what to try. One of the things that Potosi had the idea for was trying to use alkynes that had been constrained into a certain shape, a ring. Now, this strain that was imparting into it, well, if you place the alkaline under strain not in its normal linear form, could you then release that energy somehow in a way that could be made to work for you? Now, this was the start of a long investigation which involved a lot of researchers like Nicholas Agard, Laura Marhol, Kevin Yurima, and the first major real paper that they published of trying to piece together this was finding something that was mild selective water compatible useful for putting into living systems and basically could be something they could place into cells so they figured out a way of they could get this ketone basically onto a cell surface they might be able to attach handles to it they hadn't really got the concept working fully yet, but it was the tipping point, the first big paper from that lab to come out under the leadership of Carolyn Potosi. But the problem wasn't yet solved, because the base they were using for it, ketone hydrozone, it was fine in cultured cells, but you couldn't really use it in Vivio, in real live living cells, because, you know, the metabolites would interfere with what you're trying to image and pH was too acidic and this was never really going to work for real real cells rather than just lab cultured ones. So eventually they started to piece on more and more different processes in a way to make it a bit more stable in a way that would work inside living cells with something that is now used and called the Batozzi-Staldinger ligation. Now the main proof of concept paper for that Batozzi points out that came out of her lab was actually done by a grad student, Elena Saxon, and it was such a quick result that Saxon was able to pull off with this that she even before she'd really started the meat of her graduate year had actually already got some decent results in the lab. And then, of course, you had to prove that you could do this kind of bioorthogonal chemistry, not just with this nice smooth process in cells, but you had to prove you could do it in real live animals. And then that meant researchers was like papers published by Daniel Dube and Jen Pressure also went to outline how you could do this. Now, this has gone from 2001 to 2004. We have actually seen the development of this whole new way of thinking in chemistry. But it's all done through these kind of papers and investigative work on really minute topics that are building towards a much, much larger and larger piece of the puzzle. Work under... Patozzi in her lab is all chipping away at this big pista question. The grad student Nick Agard at the time really got his head around how to use a really, really old paper from 1961 and way to create a nice stable ring and use that to help create the right conditions to create bi orthogonal chemistry without copper. Well, that was the building block that had been working on not just the click chemistry building blocks, but also these biocell imaging blocks that Potosia had been looking at for quite a while. And so we took around four or five years to get from idea through to concept to being tested. But a lot of researchers all tying their hands in, diving into the past, pulling out papers that are relevant to really find that. So whilst people get awarded the Nobel Prize, and they do contribute a certainly a lot they also are also contributing to leading teams, growing labs, guiding those labs to investigate topics, to chip away at this big puzzle that they're trying to crack. Sometimes they don't even know where that's going to end up, but they end up in somewhere strange or different any case. And this concept, which started off as trying to make simpler and more straightforward chemical reactions or answer a question like how we can look inside cells can be applied today in some pretty amazing ways researchers use bio orthogonal chemistry all the time to make more stable and more interesting medicines to understand exactly how things are working to track molecules inside of a cell now in research example cases, you can use it, say, to add a probe to a receptor to understand how that receptor functions as part of a larger cellular process. You can also maybe try and improve the capture time of these biof- orthogonal processes so you can see and use the smallest amount of trace chemical that you could possibly use to really see just how much is going on inside the cell. So you can not only take photos, but take photos really quickly without a lot of light you know how useful it is to have a low light mode on your camera or maybe to have slow motion view that enables you to get a much deeper view of something that's happened by speeding up by orthogonal reactions and lowering the concentrations you can actually find ways to see more and get a clearer picture inside a cell's behavior these are all like the extra next steps that can be improved on you can also change the way that these things work as well. Now, for example, researchers have trying techniques where you can add molecules to the surface of a live cell really quickly in as little, almost as 15 seconds. That's absurdly short periods of time. And then you can observe how that cell functions just in its natural environment when you expose it to all kinds of things. You could also then work in other ways where you can trigger these reactions, these tracking reactions, with say light activation, which would mean you could be able to use it as a great screening and imaging tool, only activating and giving off signals when you need it, when you're trying to take the image, not all the time. So you can then use a light activation to activate the tracking cells at exactly the right moment that you need it. These are the kind of amazing advantages in imaging and understanding what's happening inside a body or a process or a chemical reaction or an object, plastics or any other type of large scale interactions of chemical items or biological systems. It's another way of saying what click chemistry and bioorthogonal chemistry enables this really cool, precise and trackable GPS cameras where you can see what is happening of an individual thing inside of a cell and track that over time in immense detail. And that's why the researchers, Barry Sharpless, Carolyn Bertozzi, and Morten Meldal were awarded the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, for the great invention of a new technological tool and process to really enable us to understand way more about chemical processes and biological processes and track them with precise detail. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. Our bioorthogonal chemistry and click chemistry were made by the work of researchers, not just the Nobel Prize winners, working together in labs and on for time to create a new concept in chemistry. Our ending theme was composed by Audio analytics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.